Happy Memorial Day, everyone. We're going to do a little bit of a Memorial Day celebration towards the end of the talk. But, uh, but to kick us off, I actually found a Memorial Day joke. <laughs> it's like, who knew that they would actually have a themed Memorial Day joke? Here we go. So on Memorial Day, the minister noticed little Alex staring at a large plaque that hung in the foyer of the church. The plaque was covered with names, and small American flags were, were mounted on either side of it. The seven-year-old had been staring at the plaque for some time, and so the minister thought, he'd better check in. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Reverend, replied the young man, still focused on the plaque. What is this? asked Alex. Well, son, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. Soberly, they stood together, reflecting upon the Memorial Day plaque. Little Alex's voice, barely audible, but sounding a little worried, asked, Which service, sir, the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock? <laughs> all right, I couldn't resist. <laughs> So glad you're all here. Before we uh, do our little, uh, our honoring of Memorial Day, though, uh, as some of you know, we're in the midst of a series talking about uh, specific spiritual principles, and we're covering uh, something like 11 of them in five weeks. And so I have a couple spiritual principles I want to talk to you about today. The first one, actually, they both even kind of fit in with Memorial Day. The first one is the spiritual principle, which we call the law of forgiveness. And, uh, and in the book, we're, uh, we're using this working with the law of Raymond Hollimans. And in the book, he starts out simply by saying, forgive and you shall be forgiven, which I think is a great place to start. But then when you read the whole chapter, you re recognize he's talking way more about forgiveness as a power than, than simply the desire that if you do someone wrong, you'll be forgiven as well. Really, I would restate the law of forgiveness as forgive and you shall be healed. Because what he's really talking about in this chapter is the power of forgiveness to truly set us all free, to truly heal a hardened heart, to truly make new feelings of inadequacy and hatred in our own heart, really to unleash us into the world of the living again. And, and I, to use an example, I, I would really use my, my own mother-in-law. When Daniel and I were first going out, um, I would say maybe on the eighth or ninth date, he said, oh, you should come and meet my mom. And so, okay, that sounds fun. And so we went over to her house for dinner, and she, uh, I decided that it would be nice to get to know her a little bit or maybe help her in the kitchen. And so we're in and we're um, chopping, I don't know, chopping vegetables or something, getting ready for dinner. And, and she's going on about her life and, and whatnot. And, and after the meal on our way home, I said to Daniel, Daniel, I feel a little blindsided here. You didn't tell me that your parents are going through a divorce. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? <laughs> They'd been divorced for 18 years. But the way that Daniel's mom was talking about it, you would have sworn it was yesterday. She still had all of the hard, hard feelings. She still was really holding her ex-husband in that place of unforgiveness, in that place of, of really hostility. And what I began learning about her was really that experience had hardened her heart in a way that she would never fully recover from. 
We cannot afford really to be in that place of long-term anger. All the medical science points out this out as well. You know, when you hold unforgiveness, when you hold a, um, hurt in your heart for a long period of time, it does things to your blood pressure, it, 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 it allows, uh, I shouldn't say it allows, it really disallows. What it, what it does is it makes hard for you to really live because you're focused on one narrow place in your life that simply hasn't healed yet. So I don't want to say too much more about the law of forgiveness, except that it's nearly required to be healthy. And how do you know if you've forgiven? How do you know if there's forgiveness work to do? I think it's a pretty simple test. If you look back on a place or an event or a person in your life, and it grabs your stomach or you get that tightness of breath uh, in your heart, you have some forgiveness work to do. And the good news is, we don't have to forgive what happened. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that the, the bad thing that was done to you or your family or whatever, that, that somehow that's okay, because it probably wasn't. It probably, whatever the event was or the happening probably wasn't okay. But it's important for us to release that stuck energy. It's important for us to forgive all of God's divine creatures, even if they show up as an ex-husband, even, even if they show up as a rotten babysitter or whatever it is. It is for us to forgive because it frees us. It allows us to move forward. It allows us to experience life and love once again. So the second spiritual principle that I want to talk about today, and it's fun, uh, some of you are, you know, kind of reading along, and uh, I already had that one phone call this week, Larry, you're really going to talk about the law of sacrifice? <laughs> and, uh, and we got a good laugh, because this book was written in the 50s, and I think the idea of sacrifice in the 50s maybe had a little bit different flavor to it, if you will, than it did in kind of a more contemporary uh, spiritual center. And so I've rephrased a little bit. Instead of calling it the law of sacrifice, I almost think of it as the law... How do I want to say this? It's more like the law of investing in yourself. And so we are going to talk about it, and I'm going to do it maybe in a little roundabout way, if you will. Is it true, would you say, that now in America, in the 21st century, we're struggling a little bit with our priorities? Most, uh, oh, okay, <laughs> most of us, I think you'll agree, have a little bit too much on our plate. We're trying to be the best parent we can. We're trying to be the best uh, employee we can. We're trying to be the best professional we can. We're, we're trying to uh, be at church on Sunday. We're trying to volunteer out in the world. Um, many of us are in school. Many of us have adult children living with us. Many of us are raising children. Many of us have children on the way. Some of us volunteer many hours. How do we sort all that out? The law of sacrifice, as written in this book, would tell us that we may end up sacrificing one part of our life at the expense of another. And so for that reason, I like to think that this law is really talking about giving up the good enough, sacrificing the good enough, in order to achieve excellence. 
And so let's talk about that for a minute. If we are the society that wants it all, if we are the society that thinks, yes, I'm going to be a great parent and I'm going to be a wonderful grandparent and I'm going to be the great employee or boss and I'm going to be talented in the arts and I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to be a good spiritual community leader and I'm going to do all of these things, there's good news and there's bad news. Either you have found the... Uh, the way of not having to sleep anymore so that that you can devote an extra eight hours in there. Or I would suggest that one or two of those areas may be suffering a little bit. So there's a couple ways of dealing with this. Now, Raymond Hollowell, it's very interesting, back in the 50s, he takes a little bit of a disapproving tone. He's kind of saying, unless you give your 110% to your whole life, well, here, actually, let me read it to you. Uh, I think you'll get kind of a laugh just at his tone. Um, He's right on the money, but the the tone is kind of funny. He says, we train domestic animals. Well, and I don't really like being called a domestic animal, but, but we'll get there in a minute. We train domestic animals carefully. We harness the forces of nature to serve us reliably and well. And yet, when it comes to ourselves, the most valued at all, we let our thoughts run wild. No one can attain ambitions until you learn to discipline our mental force and to control our thinking. And then he goes on, no one will ever find the richness of life in any realm by loose and casual wandering. (laughs) Always you must be able to go down a narrow way and through a straight gate called discipline. Now how does that sit with us religious scientists, right? (laughs) We like to think that our good can come our way effortlessly, don't we? But Raymond Hollowell would say, and I want to try this on size with all of you here, he would say what comes easily is good enough. He would say what we can obtain with very little effort will be merely good enough. And if you're satisfied with good enough... If you're satisfied with kind of the same old, same old, nothing bad happening, but nothing unusually good happening either, no, no great uh, uh, insights, no great happenings, if that is good enough, then indeed the easiness with which we can live will be portrayed in that sort of good enough way. Now, Raymond Hollowell would say, and those people are, what did he call me, the untrained oxen or something? <laughs> but, you know, I will take a more, I will take a more modern approach to this because I think the goal of life in large part is happiness and usefulness. Would you agree? And if good enough is suitable so that you really feel in our lives happy and useful, then I don't know that that's such a bad place to be. And in that sense, although he may be right in his way of talking about this law of sacrifice, I would say, so what? I would say, if you are confident, if you are happy, if you are feeling useful, if your life is running pretty well, I think that's darn good. I will agree with him, though, however. If you want excellence, if you want to stand out on the cutting edge, if you want to be you know, the best artist that you know, if you want to be the outstanding parent, 
If you want to be the fabulous uh, runner of a, a, of a world-class business, if you want to seek the pinnacles of excellence, I think this spiritual law has a lot to say for itself. I don't think you can do all of those things at once. Um, Sharon, Reverend Sharon and I were kind of comparing notes earlier, and we were talking about sometimes in our classes, you know, one of the things we teach is the scientific prayer or the affirmative prayer, and, and we were kind of laughing because often in our beginning classes, people will approach it with the entire kitchen sink involved, you know? They'll, they'll do a prayer. In fact, it wasn't too long ago in one of my classes, a, a, a gentleman um, said, uh, okay, so He'd written down an affirmative prayer and read it out loud and, and said, so what do you think? And I said, well, the form is great and, and the words you've chosen are lovely, but oh my gosh, it's like you, you want a new job and, and you want abundance and you want a, a new house and you want a new life. And, and, you went, and I said, you know, the trouble with this is, is we need to be able to hold a mental equivalent. We need to be able to put our full spiritual energy into our prayer. And I don't know that I could do that with this prayer. How can I put my full attention on everything? And I think that is also what this spiritual law of sacrifice is saying. If we want unusual excellence in some part of our life, we're going to need to free up some time. We're going to need to free up some mental energy. We're going to need to free up any confusion or any doubt in our mind so that we can focus on one or two. What would you say, Sharon? A couple things? Maybe three things? <laughs> and I think that pertains, of course, to life itself. If you want to get unusually good at something... You're going to have to devote the time and the energy. It, you know, often I've heard it referred to as, as giving your 110%. The trouble is if you want to give your 110% to five different things, right? The math would point out that there's a problem here. Okay. So the other thing about this law of sacrifice I think that's interesting is that we sometimes set thresholds of good enough for ourselves so that once we reach a level of good enough in some area in our life, do you know what I mean? Like if the relationship is going tolerably well, or if the job is on an even keel with no upsets, do you know what I mean? That's the kind of good enough. For many of us, then we don't reach higher. And what Hollowell is saying here, if we want excellence, if we want great we're going to have to give up good enough. We're going to have to sacrifice our, our current level of maybe uneasy contentment. <laughs> we're going to have to perhaps sacrifice that. We're going to have to undergo some further change. We're going to have to focus on that supreme goal of whatever it is, whether it's a, the best relationship you can imagine, the, the best uh, profession you can imagine, whatever that, that thing is that you want to be excellent, you're going to have to give up. You're going to have to sacrifice your feeling just okay with whatever it is. And that could be tough. It could be that the okay is the best it's ever been. And the thought of having to maybe give up to find yet another way to achieve another level of excellence, that might be hard to take. The other thing about sacrifice, the other thing about giving your 100%, of course, leads us right into the idea of Memorial Day. 
Memorial Day, of course, was uh, built around the Civil War. At the end of the Civil War, even though the armed conflict was over, the country was still incredibly divided. And if you can think about it, you know, literally uh, half and half of the country were on opposing sides, uh, opposing ideologies, opposing beliefs around it, a number of things. Certainly slavery was the, the main topic here, but there were other things that divided the nation as well. And the, quote, winning, unquote, of the war certainly did nothing to have the nation begin working um, as a unified group again. And so Congress decided to, to enact this holiday that we call Memorial Day, and very cleverly, very wisely, very compassionately, it honored both sides of the Civil War. It honored everyone who had died in that conflict. And it did it in the way of really honoring their, their memory, yes, but their sacrifice, perhaps, even more. Here were people willing to go uh, across the United States in wagons and on horseback to uh, perhaps a state they'd never even been in to, to be fighting. This was the kind of sacrifice, I think, that we're, we don't even really think in terms of today. Um, this was literally putting your life and your family's life on hold, maybe even bidding it goodbye in order to help with something that was incredibly meaningful to you. And Congress recognized that whatever side of the debate you were on, it was equally meaningful to you. And so that is why they honored really the fallen soldiers on both sides of things. So today for Memorial Day, we're going to do our own honoring. You'll notice we have a, a table with some candles here. And I just wanted to say a couple words about how we might internalize our own sense of Memorial Day. Certainly we are here to celebrate and truly honor the people um, you know, who served in the armed forces and perhaps were involved and, uh, and made their passing during armed conflict. Absolutely. But it occurs to me that there are other people who served in the, the armed forces that didn't lose their lives, that were equally sacrificing big parts of their lives in World War I and World War II and Korea and Vietnam in the Gulf. Likewise, I think that there are some heroes out there that may not have been in the service at all that nonetheless sacrificed huge parts of their lives to keep a family together, to make a safe place for, uh, for people in their lives. And so, so people right here, uh, you, you know, who never left on a boat or a plane to serve, were nonetheless people sacrificing a big part of who they are, their time, their talent, their treasure, in order to make freedom, to make safety, to make love something that could be maintained. So for today, my invitation is, and, and I think that is the, the choir's going to come up and kind of back this up. Why don't you guys uh, start coming forward here? Um, what I would like to do is just make the offer. Anyone who would like to get up and do uh, a, a small tribute to perhaps a, a veteran or someone in their lives who made that level of sacrifice to come forward. We have candles here. Um, you can light a candle, and uh, I will bring down, oh, thanks, LaRonda. We'll bring down a microphone, and then if you just would like to speak the name or, or something short uh, about the person or person you would like to honor. And I'll even start out just to give you an idea of, uh, of how this might work.
So I would like to honor my father, Robert Allen King, who served proudly in World War II in the South Pacific. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one unity of all life. We simply acknowledge on this day that life is eternal, that the power of sacrifice made by the people we have dedicated these candles and these words to on this day are never, never separate from us. And that the gift that they have given, the powerful freedoms of choice that we have in this country and in countries throughout the world, wherever there has been conflict in the name of freedom, I give great thanks. I give great thanks also for the people willing to share of their own lives today in making these dedications and opening their hearts for healing. And so it is with a lot of love that I just release this prayer into the activity and action of the law, affirming eternal life always, affirming the goodness of life and love. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is.